Your attention is precious. Pulled in a million directions for a million different reasons. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina works hard to make sure your health insurance isn't one of the many things distracting you from what's important. By making healthcare easier to navigate, we help keep your focus on the moments that matter most. Like dinner with loved ones. Letting you focus on you. That's the benefit of blue. Learn more at benefitofbluesc.com. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Mic Drop, the podcast where relevancy is irrelevant and we don't give a shit about your feelings. Ladies and gentlemen, as always, it's both an honor and a pleasure to welcome my next guest to the podcast. He is a professional comedian. He does take naps. Uh, He specializes in roasting, politics, economy, America, freedom, and business. Uh, And he specializes in Guido observations. He's Charlie Day's facial expression coach. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Bobby Sausalito. What's going on? Thanks for, uh, for joining us. I, uh, to the to the viewer, the listener, as you can see, this is uh, via Zoom. Uh, I have have held out as long as I can possibly do it, um, but the reality of it is, is that over the last eighteen to twenty four months, with Zoom becoming kind of a a staple and, and part of every everybody's everyday life that they've gotten used to, uh, that's just uh, the reality for me to be able to continue to bring you guests um, in a more uh, appropriate fashion as it relates to scheduling and not having to wait, you know, six weeks between episodes, because that's what it takes to get somebody to, to get here in the, in the studio. Uh, we are going to start doing more and more zooms, not all zooms. We'll still get uh, whatever guests we can uh, here in the studio based on their schedule in mind. But, uh, but you are going to be seeing this format uh, uh, in the, in the coming, coming future. So uh, have at it. If you don't like it, choke yourself. Uh, anyway, uh, so quick lightning round. What's the last thing you do before you go to bed? That's not hygiene related. Uh, the last thing that I do before I go to bed, that's not hygiene related. Let the dog go out to take a piss because he's about 16 years old now and he has a tough time lasting through the night. So that is literally the last thing that I do before I go to bed. (laughs) Hey man, what, uh, what kind of dog is it? He's a purebred pit bull. No shit. Yeah. But, uh, is there a cool story on how you acquired him? Like you found him somewhere or is it just my, no, my, um, my brother and I, uh, my brother and I growing up always wanted to get a dog, but my dad, maybe, I don't know if, if he is or isn't, but told us that he was allergic to cat hair and dog hair. And yeah. so we could never get a dog. So as soon as we moved out when I was about 18, um, my brother and I wanted to get one, a buddy of mine had one just with him one day, had a litter of 12, Bought him for 150 bucks, which was about the price of his shots. Yeah. And um, I've had him for over 16 years. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. What's his name? Biggie. Biggie. That's good shit. Yeah. yeah. It, uh, it always cracks me up. People are like, oh, it's a free dog. Like, there's no such thing as a fucking free dog. 
This this dude was about as close as possible. And it's crazy because we wanted to, we went to the store like any, any normal person would. And we were like, Oh, English bulldogs are so cute and funny. It was like 1400 bucks. And we're just like, how are we, how do you justify spending that? Plus you got to buy the cage and the bulls and all the rest. Um, But my buddy was like, look, we got 10 of these beautiful pit bulls. And we said, why not? And he's been, he's been luckily healthy pretty much his entire life. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, hopefully unrelated. What's your best one night stand story? <laughs> uh, hmm. Can you even share it? I, yeah. Uh, when I first moved to Florida, um, when I first moved to Florida, I didn't know anybody and I had been here for a few weeks and it was kind of like, if you don't have any friends and I'm, I've been self-employed for about 13 years, it's just like, how do you, how do you meet people? So I would do all the traditional things, go to the bar and whatever, but it was kind of struggling. So, um, I got a knock at the door one day and it was the girl, it was a girl taking the U S census and the next door neighbor, <laughs> the next door neighbor had not replied, uh, to the census. And I was like, Hey, I'm new in town. Uh, you know, so I asked out the census girl. Want to add to the census? You, uh, no shit, huh? And so you, you closed the deal based on that, huh? Yes. Bang the census chick. But it was, it was one of those things where it was just like, it was like seize the moment, you know? Yeah. Like when they're there, like they're already at your house. So yeah. (laughs) Census. uh, Did it live up to, uh, the census reputation? Was it, was it worthwhile or was it pretty average? For a, for a first, for a first, uh, introduction to Florida, it was, it was all right. (laughs) What is one time deal? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think there was, I think there was other experiences yeah. perhaps. I can't remember. It's been a long time, like 12 years, but yeah. I think there were, I feel like there were others, yeah. but amen. Uh, what's your favorite Olympic sport? Favorite Olympic sport. Doesn't have uh, to be winter. Yeah. I would say probably, on. I mean, I don't really watch the Olympics much now because of where it is. Yeah. So I'm certainly not watching it now, but I always used to love, um, uh, snowboarding and like the half pipes and the flips and, um, yeah. what's his name? Sean, Sean white. Yeah. Yeah. I like watching that. I would yeah. say, I would say that for Olympics. I think he's in his fifth fucking Olympics right now, which is, uh, which is crazy. I, I admittedly have not watched a single second of, uh, of these Olympics for a number of reasons, but, um, but, uh, yeah, the fucking snowboarding, what's cool about uh, the half pipe and a lot of the snowboarders is most of them are about high as fuck when they do it. Uh, you know, which is pretty awesome. Yeah, Olympic athletes yeah, be able sure. to see it. baked out of their fucking mind. Uh, <laughs> what is one activity that you would like to do with Joe Biden? Uh, well, an activity I'd like to do with Joe Biden, uh, I guess I probably have a probably have an ice cream cone because there'd be some funny some funny photos for later. I think <laughs> I think I think the the visual of this dude eating an ice cream cone. It just like lends to his mental capacity. It's yeah. like, that's all he can figure out to do. I remember a story. There was a story a couple of weeks ago where the press corps was like, oh, Joe, Joe's schedule is empty today. It was like a Tuesday or Wednesday. <laughs> and like uh, fucking and, president, how can a schedule ever be empty? Yeah. And, and Jen circle back, he said something along the lines of, you know, he's having a couple of meetings here and there and such and such. And then <laughs> there was a 19 car motorcade to the ice cream shop across the street. And he bought a Kamala Harris coffee mug and the ice cream cone. And that's oh, what he God. did. 19, a 19 car motorcade. So it's like, that was like a hundred something, something thousand dollar trip yeah. to get cone of ice cream it's like yeah. i don't i don't want to get a cone of ice cream because i got videos to make 
and I don't have any motorcade. This dude's like, yeah, let's take the motorcade. I mean, to me, like something like that. I mean, why wouldn't you just have fucking ice cream brought to the goddamn White House? You know, and it's already there anyhow. So just the whole the whole scene of it, they're trying to soften the guy's image. They're like, look, we got a cat. Who cares, dude? There's a war. (laughs) There's a war you're trying to start in Ukraine. And they're just like, look at this cat. I I think uh, his image and him himself uh, are soft enough already. But I'd like to take a second to talk about, uh, you know, from a health standpoint, I I talk a lot about different things that I've tried and and taken. Um, As I've gotten older, I've I've realized more and more the importance of uh, just making sure that you kind of preemptively take care of things. You know, in the military, we call it PMSing our gear preventative maintenance system. And, uh, you know, it, it, it never fails that if you don't do it, you feel it, your productivity is lower, et cetera. Uh, I started taking athletic greens uh, a few weeks ago and, uh, you know, it supports better sleep uh, quality and recovery. Um, it's one thing that you can do every single day that, that supports mental clarity and alertness. Uh, those two things are, are huge, whether it's podcasting or, uh, you know, the dog training that I do or, or any of the things that I'm into, you know, those two things are, are crucial and critical to my ability to be able to be productive and, and do the things that I do. Um, it's got over 7,000 five-star reviews, so it's not just me that, uh, you know, that has that opinion on it. And one of the things that I, I love to see in a company is when they give back and they do something. And for every purchase, they donate to organizations that help get nutritious food to kids in need, uh, including the no kid hungry here in the United States. To me, that that's crucial. Also, you know, from a next generation standpoint, a company that gives back and and uh, you know tries to to both educate and supplement, uh, you know, the next generation to to keep them healthy and and while they're developing, giving them the nutrition they need, uh, you know, speaks volumes to the country. So, I encourage you to uh, get out there and, and try Athletic Greens. Uh, it's been uh, been a really good deal. Um, they do have a, a free one-year supply of vitamin D and, and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com slash mic drop. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash mic drop. And uh, go ahead and get you some. Yes. Uh, what is your morning routine uh, when you're in town, just a normal normal day? <clears throat> um. I, I usually, I'm a late sleeper. So I usually go to, or I'm, I'm a late sleeper in the morning and I stay up late at night. I feel like I'm most creative in the late hours kind of lets me calm down. So I usually wake up around 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, I'll pretty much browse my phone for the news stories of the day. See if anything makes me pop out and shoot a quick video. It's like, if anything just lights me up immediately, I like to hit, I like to get hitting, hitting at the, um, uh, the news of the day straight away. I drink cold brew coffee every day. So I'll wake up cold brew coffee on the front porch, let the dog out, kind of read the news of the day. And then um, I'm straight to my computer to, to try to shoot my first reel on, um, on Instagram. When I put out long form videos, five minute videos, it'll take me hours to research all the stuff and come up with what I'm going to say, pick the right topic. So I think it can hit for the day, but yeah. the reels, the 15 to one minute, 15 second to one minute clips, I really try to fire out as many of those as I can. So I like to start the day with a new reel. So that's usually my objective. The second I open my eyes. Yeah. Do you, uh, ever use like weed or psychedelics or anything to, to help your creativity or do you not fuck with any of that? No, I, I started smoking. I started smoking weed when I was 13. I probably started smoking every day. I'd say by the time I was 17 or 18 and I smoked pretty much every day for 
I would say probably 15 years. And then two years ago, I just decided that it wasn't the right thing. What, how much more of life could I unlock in the case that if I was to stop doing this? And interestingly enough, uh, I think it must have been 30 to 45 days after I completely quit smoking weed cold turkey that my first video blew up. And now my life has completely changed as a result. And I was the guy that would have sworn to you that I'd be smoking a blunt on my porch when I was 60 years old. No, no question. And it would be part of my life forever. But interestingly enough, I unlocked another level of clarity without smoking weed. So I think in a lot of ways it was the, it it really kind of expedited my, my efficacy at, at, at connecting the dots of life. So as much as I love weed and I love the smell, um, I do believe that it that you unlock another level when you stop if you smoked as much as I do. Um, I've I've in, I've enjoyed a variety of different things. I have a I have kind of an origin story that goes back to when I was about eighteen, where I um, where I ate mushrooms when the sun came up and kind of try to understand what I would do with the rest of my life. So I believe. I believe psychedelics have a huge benefit to a lot of people because it makes you realize that reality is perception based and not and not a it's not as um, it's not as black and white as you might seem. So you can completely change your state of mind in a second with a chemical. In a lot of ways, you almost feel like that's the God, the God chemical, the God particle. You kind of realize that there's more to life than what you can see right in front of you. And I do believe that pretty much every person should give it a try at some point or another. So I'm a huge supporter of that, especially for people, especially for the medical benefits, like the PTSD and the, and people that have other health related issues to think that they could be depressed. And instead of taking some type of depression pill, which was manufactured in some, uh, you know, in some laboratory that these other psychedelics could be used to really change and benefit people's lives. So I'm all for all that. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with it. I, I admittedly have never really messed with any of that stuff. Uh, I mean, I, I tried smoking weed when I was in high school and it gave me a headache. Yep. Uh, you know, I tried edibles as an adult, uh, you know, a, a few times and, and for me, like it just didn't do a whole lot for me. It kind of felt like the same effect of having a few beers, like a, a slight buzz. And that was about it, but it took yep. two fucking hours to get to that point. And, and, uh, <laughs> And it, it was just kind of like, what's the point? You know, uh, I, I never had any type of clarity thing. Admittedly, like I've not tried a lot of the other things that uh, the people recommend for that kind of stuff. I just, you know, for me, I don't really feel the the need for it. Yeah. Uh, but I also, you know, am certainly not against it. And, and I think, you know, to each their own. I am curious, like from, a, you know, you starting at a, at a super early age, two questions. Do you think that there is an ideal age? um, to, to wait until before you start doing that, whether it's, you know, your cortex being formed at 25, et cetera, like waiting till then, or before that, after that, what have you. And also the second part of that question is, is there a happy medium? I mean, it sounds like you kind of went so wide open to where it was, it was actually detrimental and you had to stop to, to kind of come back full circle. But, uh, do you think that there's a, a kind of a, uh, a road to hoe or a, a good fine line to walk, or a, a, again, a happy medium that, that gives you the ability to take advantage of it without being a detriment. That's a, that's a great question. I, I think that I don't have regrets about how things progress through life. So it's hard for me to say for certain. However, I would say that up until that point, up until I was 13, I was a high achiever at school. I was getting excellent grades and so forth. What smoking weed did for me is it made me understand 
a little bit more of the social and friendship part of life. It's almost like it's almost like people rally around sports and they like a sports team. They watch the sports team. They go to the game and it, it develops this camaraderie. Interestingly enough, weed brought me into different friend groups and created a lot of social situations in my younger years instead of instead of me studying or 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 being super diligent with all my homework and things i would focus more on the social aspect of it which i think in a lot of ways has benefited me in so many ways through life and helped me touch the other side of things had i not smoked weed i think i would have been a much more high achieving student i think i probably would have gone to a four-year college i think i probably would be in a full-time job and i think in a lot of ways it would have taken me down the wrong path which seemed correct for most of my life that that was the right thing so i'm thankful for it i think when it applies to anybody i do think that it's kind of like it's almost like do you like do you like cauliflower or not some people love cauliflower some people don't some people like broccoli some people don't you ever you ever had a vegetable like a celery and you you can't understand how a person doesn't like celery what is that about i think everybody is unique and different in their own way so you just have to find the thing that makes sense for you for me it was all a natural progression i wasn't i wasn't smoking weed to escape my life i didn't eat mushrooms because i was upset with things it was always in kind of a very controlled environment with groups of friends that I really trusted. And it created a lot of interesting revelations in life that I think uh, gave me an appreciated perspective that I carry through to this day. And there's so many different things that I understand as a result of unlocking that level. And like all things, there has to be balance. So I don't know what the ideal age would be. I would say that the excuse that people use as at least as it relates to weed, let's just specifically stick to that. People will say, and I used to say the same thing. It helps me be more creative, et cetera. helps me unwind. I believe that, I believe that we, we dismiss our own personal responsibility to be creative, to unwind on our own and create other solutions and say, I smoke weed because of X. Whether or not you think that marijuana is healthy for you or not, I can tell you this much, inhaling smoke into your lungs, whether it's weed or not, is objectively probably not good for you. Smoking a cigar and wrapping it in cigar paper or a chemical paper or even whatever, it's certainly not good. Not only is it wasting time, it's expending money, but it's probably not good for your, your organs. So even though I understand the idea that it helps you be creative, I would wager that the gym would help you be creative in a similar way taking a long walk would help you be creative in a similar way. And a lot of us kind of dismiss our own, our own personal responsibility for relaxing to say, well, I have to smoke weed to relax. You actually don't, you actually don't need really any external to do anything. All the stuff is contained up in your mind. And I think that a lot of people will just use that as the excuse for why they do it. So I would challenge anybody that says that to just think about, what if you could never get weed again? What if, what if you were on, let's just use a stupid example. Let's say you were on probation. What if you smoked weed, you got tested, then you had to go to jail as a result. You probably wouldn't smoke weed. So would you just never be relaxed? No, you would find some other alternative. And I think the biggest thing of all, the greatest takeaway for me was how much time I was wasting. Not only time getting weed, smoking weed, rolling it, being stoned, but the time that I didn't spend out otherwise producing, um, 
stacks up over time. Even if you just lose one hour a day where you're high and not processing in your mind as quickly as you would, one hour a day, 365 hours a year, think about what you could produce in that time. Even if you made, even if you made $15 an hour, you would be wealthier. So I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of time loss that uh, impedes your ability to really, really motor into the next level in life at a faster pace. Yeah. Uh, that's a good insight for sure. You know, coming from somebody who who has obviously vast experience with it. Do you think that there's, for a lot of people, there's almost a red pill, blue pill element with drugs in general? Your attention is precious. Pulled in a million directions for a million different reasons. Blue Cross Blue Shield of South Carolina works hard to make sure your health insurance isn't one of the many things distracting you from what's important. By making healthcare easier to navigate, we help keep your focus on the moments that matter most, like dinner with loved ones, letting you focus on you. That's the benefit of blue. Learn more at benefitofbluesc.com. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, I think that I was just talking with my, my folks and uh, some, for some of my family friends last night about this. It's almost like when you, when you start to realize that the things that they've taught you could be wrong and could be backwards. And when we, I think the, the normal question people usually say is, why didn't they teach me about a credit score in school? If a credit score is so crucial to your life, why did they not teach me that? Why did they not teach me how to do laundry? Why did they not teach me how to get a mortgage? Why did they not teach me all of these things that are crucial elements of life? How to do taxes? I mean, how is there not a high school class on how to do your taxes, right? I think that once you start to learn that everything that you've been taught is not what it seems, then you start to get into things where, well, what else is not true? Then it could be, maybe it's <clears throat> aliens. Maybe it's... Um, Maybe it's uh, maybe it's aliens. Maybe it's government. Who knows what it is? The education system. Why is this all backwards? Why is there a McDonald's on every corner, but there's not a place where you can get healthy food? I think that once you get into that realm where you realize that not everything is what it seems, these psychedelics kind of make you realize that reality is not exactly what it seems and that almost every single thing that you've been taught and everything, every single thing that you've seen and experienced in your life could be inaccurate. So when you start to question everything is when you can really see, you know, in a lot of ways, the truth. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think, uh, you know, the sad part is, is that for some people that moment never comes. Yeah. You know, uh, unfortunately, um, you know, and, and uh, I think that if there's one skill set, uh, you know, that 
arguably is is probably the most important. It's also the most left out, I think, in in primary public school is is critical thinking. You know, just the the ability to to look at things that way. And and I don't think it's a secret or uh, or hard to you know come to terms with the fact that it's not in our government's best interest to have a, a society of of critical and free thinkers. I mean, that's the reality of it. Yep. Um, but which is, uh, which is too bad, but, uh, we'll get back into, um, some of the government's, uh, fuck ups and, uh, and, and their influence here in a minute. I am curious, where are you originally from? I'm from Connecticut, Connecticut. No shit. Yeah. Yeah. There's not a lot of shit going on in Connecticut. <laughs> uh, I've only been there once, uh, but it's, it's and a- it was actually just, just fairly recent, but, uh, can you give us kind of the, uh, the reader's digest synopsis on growing up in Connecticut and what that was like? I think <clears throat> I'm really thankful for Connecticut in so many ways and, and the type of lifestyle that it allowed me to allowed me to lead first for many reasons. Um, number one is that I grew up in a small town of less than less than 15,000 people, which taught me the value of your standing in the community where it's if you screw somebody over, you know, that person's cousin, brother-in-law, uncle-in-law, and you, st- you see names around town that you understand that you're part of a real ecosystem. You don't feel like you could screw someone over and never see them again, which I feel like larger cities um, allow. In addition to that, it allows you to be, you're insulated for safety. I never felt the threat of crime. I never felt the threat of the outside world. We didn't lock our doors at night. Um, you know, We never really felt that, that threat. So it was like, it was a nice insulated bubble as a kid. In addition to that, the public school system allowed everybody to be on the same playing field. We only knew a few people that went to private school. So everybody went to a public school, but it was a really high quality one. So everybody was getting a great education on the same level. There was a guy that had a G wagon and there was a guy that had a Toyota Camry, yet we were all at the same school. So it, it allowed, it it allowed there not to be a kind of a class system on top of that. Connecticut has all four seasons. It has access to the ocean. You can go north to New Hampshire and uh, Vermont and go skiing. So you have a little bit of everything. You can get to the beach. You can get to Manhattan. You can get to Boston. You can get to the forest. You can go hiking. So it has a little, it's centrally enough located that it has all of those things. In addition to that, it has the pace of New York where there's the no bullshit um, kind of funny kind of insult jab style uh, comedy well, with also people that are hyper efficient, they understand that the world is moving quick and you got to get it done. So you, I had that New England mentality that I realized later in life when I came to Florida, that people just operated at a slower pace. It made me think quick on my feet. People in New York are hilarious too. So I think it was great humor. It was just a great balance of all things life. And it, it, it taught me small time values while also giving me access to high populated cities. I got a great education. Uh, I, I got to enjoy nature in so many ways. And then all of the other aspects of the world seemed accessible. I could live in the forest. I could live in a mountain. I could live in the sea. I could live in a city. And all of them didn't seem very out of reach. Um, there was no, you know, there wasn't very much prairie farmland, Kansas style, but there were still farms and there were still horse farms and cow pastures and all that. So it was just a really kind of storybook, um, you know, uh, greeting card style uh, upbringing, which was beautiful. Yeah. So why did you leave? Because I hate the cold. Um, I I never really liked the cold. I never liked the winter. I was the guy that would wear gym shorts and sandals in the wintertime inside with the heat all the way up. I'd go out to get the mail 
with my sandals and socks and shorts on. And I just never liked the cold. When I was young, sledding, snowman, cup of soup, hot chocolate. Yeah, great. Yeah. But as an older person, I hated <clears throat> I hated going out to a bar and having a huge jacket. I hate getting into a cold car. I hated work. I hated all of the things of all of the, all of the logistics of living in a cold place, unless your car's in a garage, you're getting in a cold car all the time. And I just hated being cold. That was honestly it. And I remember I used to run, I used to run about a five mile loop around the city that I, uh, that I lived in when I went to college. Um, And I remember thinking to myself, I'm the best looking single man <laughs> in this entire place. I need to go where not I'm us too. Yeah. I was like, I need to. Yeah, exactly. I was like, I need to not live here. I need to be where there's better looking people, where things are moving. The, the house, when I, when I left my small town, I went to the, the big city, which was 100,000 people um, in central Connecticut. And it sucks. The house across the street. And I didn't live in the ghetto, but the house across the street had the number spray painted on the house. Yeah. And I just remember thinking to myself, if I'm going to be top tier capacity of what I believe in life, I need to change my surroundings. I can't go to the same old bar with the same old people. I can't come out to my car every day and, and pull the handle and have it snap off because it's so cold. I'm never going to get better. I have to challenge myself. And being in a place that was warm just seemed so much more desirable and being in a bigger city seemed that much more desirable and New York and Boston didn't appeal to me. I, I felt I really needed to change and I was just ready to be warm all the time. Yeah. Did you have a, a big family siblings or only? Yeah. Family? Um, one brother. Um, and then my, uh, my, my father has, uh, uh, has two siblings. So I have a bunch of cousins and my mom's family is, is fairly large. So uh, definitely, a, <clears throat> definitely a large family unit when, when all together. Yeah. Uh, did you play any sports growing up? Yes, I played, uh, I played soccer, baseball, basketball, um, football all through high school, won the state championship undefeated our senior year was all conference. Um, so did football through the high school career, but did soccer, baseball, basketball, all the rest. What uh, what position in football? I was center offensive oh, line. No shit. Yeah. Yeah, that's wild. Um, all right. So, did you move uh, right after high school, or or you went to college for a few years? What uh, what was that kind of uh, process? So, I I went to the University of Connecticut saddle a satellite campus. So, the University of Connecticut, the year that I graduated high school, the women's and men's basketball teams won the national championship at the same time. So, the applications for the University of Connecticut spiked <laughs> that year because it was the hottest basketball school in the nation. It was the biggest university in Connecticut. And I felt that my parents kind of could only afford to send me to a large university like that if it, if I had the in-state prices. So UConn was the target. That year, all the applications spiked. I didn't get into the main campus. I got into the satellite campus, which was in Waterbury, Connecticut. Um, so I went to live in, uh, in an apartment with my brother in Waterbury uh, when I was 18. I lived there. I was there for, I was there the first year of college. And then as the second year began, I'll never forget. My brother came home one day and he said, I wish I could unlearn all the stuff that they taught me in this school. College teaches you how to be an employee. He's like, he said, if you can get out before they, before they ruin your magic, you'll be better off for it. And I was not really enjoying it. I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I remember the first month of my second year there, my, um, my, uh, what is it? Student advisor kind of flippantly said, 
your grades are not good enough. You're not going to be able to get into the business school at the University of Connecticut. You could get in for some other degree, but you're not going to get into the business school. Your grades are already not good enough. And once I realized that I couldn't go for business, I checked out. And I remember telling my folks, this is not for me. I need to find a way out. I'm going to be an entrepreneur and it's going to work. And they said, look, we can't force you to to go, you know, we're, and we're not going to keep paying if you're not going to show up to class. So they let me go. And they said, and my, my parents, my parents were very intelligent about how they approached it. They understood that if I believed in something that who were they to say that I couldn't do it, but they also made me fit very rigid um, milestones to kind of prove my worth. So for example, one of the things my dad said is, all right, well, then you're going to start paying the electricity. You know, you, you and your brother are going to start splitting the electric bill. And then in a couple months, you're going to start splitting the water bill and you have to figure out a way to do it. Because if you're not in college anymore, then why am I paying for your yeah. stuff? So that was a that was a great uh, step progression to being independent. And it ended up working out um, because I have I was taught from my grandfather and 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 my and my father and my mother that relentless work ethic is the way that great things get done. And if you are willing to put in the time and effort, it will work out and you will figure it out. So I just got that. I put my head down and started grinding it straight out of the gate. And I've been, uh, I've been <clears throat> lucky enough that I worked so hard that it all ended up working out. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. The, uh, I, I love the, uh, the mentality that your parents took the, the kind of graduating and baby stepping your way into, uh, responsibility that way. Cause I think most parents are, are all or nothing. It's either, all right, fucker, you're 18, get out and you're on your own and it's overwhelming yep. and it crushes people. Uh, or, you know, they just, they fucking handhold and, and spoon feed them until they get to that point where they're like, Jesus Christ, I can't fucking do it anymore. You know? And, and then they're in the same boat or they end up, you know, taking care of their kids until they're fucking 40, you know, but, uh, yep. So that's a, that's a neat, neat method for sure. Uh, so at, at that point, after you kind of decided, is that when you moved to Florida or did something happen between those two, two time periods? No. So, um, so after, after I dropped out of college, I started my web development business or really kind of leaned into it and became more of the internet entrepreneur. And I had not made enough money. I tried to do it full time for about six or seven months and it just didn't work out. Um, so I took a job as a, as a bus boy at a five-star hotel in Connecticut. I did that for eight months. I was making 18 to $20 an hour and it allowed me to stack a little bit of cash. And then after that, I was so fed up with it after eight months that I decided I'm going to try to go and do the entrepreneurial thing again. And um, a few months later, I ran out of cash again. So I got a job actually in web development, which is what I wanted, um, which is what I wanted to be in. Um, and when I was in, when I was doing web development stuff, I just remember looking. I'll never forget. I was there for a couple of months, and I remember looking at the uh, at the time off chart in the break room, and it said, it said after two years here you get three days of time off, and after five years you get however many days off, and after ten years you get eight days off. And I remember just thinking to myself, so you're going to tell me that I get the weekend and eight days off a year ten years from now? Yeah. And it just was such a reality check where I got to figure this out. Um, I was promised that I would get a raise to from 15 to $18 at three months. And then from 18 to I think 21 after six months. And it took until six months for me to get the first raise. And I was so disenfranchised by how I had felt I had been lied to that. I ended up just starting to show up late 
and I got fired from that job. And I remember being fired from that job and just thinking, I will never work for anyone again. This is it. I have to figure out how to make this work and I'm willing to do anything now. I've tried it. I have to be an entrepreneur. Failure is no longer an option. So I really started going into the web development stuff. And after about, about five or six months, um, I realized that I needed some supplemental income. I used to scrape the gum off of floors at grocery stores with a family friend. And I would go at 12 o'clock at night, go to a grocery store, and I would literally be on my knees scraping gum off the floor of grocery stores for 15 bucks an hour under the table. And I remember thinking to myself, if you're willing to do this, you're willing to do anything. If you can understand and remember this moment, it will, it will benefit you forever. So I did that and made some side cash and then ended up getting a couple really big jobs by the time I um, by the time I finished those jobs, I had about thirteen thousand in cash, and I thought if there was ever a time to move, this is the time to move. So I was ready to go. It was right about to be the winter time. I had the money, so I just said, "I'm out. I'm going to Florida." And I prepared for a couple months, packed everything I could in my car, and and I was gone. Yeah, wow. So I mean, to me, the 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 struggle and the buildup of that is is the kind of benchmark story of, of a lot of successful people of doing, you know, whatever they have, I get asked a lot, you know, Hey, I want to, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to start my own business. I have no idea how, and to me that, that kind of, uh, synopsizes exactly how it's done is, is you essentially, you, you find opportunities, you know, you do your, your main gig that at least pays your bills and, and keeps you, uh, you know, between the lines financially to be able to at least provide for yourself, but then you do other things, or a side hustle, whatever the, the business is. And, and you do that on the, on the side until that can take its place. And, you know, I think we live in a society where so, so oftentimes people see successful folks on, on social media or, or wherever, you know, and, and it's like that uh, tip of the iceberg meme where it's like the success piece is, is that 5% of the iceberg sticking out that, that you can actually see, but the 95% below it that's freezing and underwater is, is what it took to get there that, that nobody, nobody really sees. And, and with the, you know, Amazon prime shipping, right click, right fucking now, two hours later mentality that everybody has, has gotten so used to and, and entitled feeling uh, surrounded by is that, you know, it's like so few people are willing to actually work. It's like, well, I want that. I want to, I want to be this. I want to do that. And I want it fucking tomorrow. And it's like, it just doesn't work that way for 99.9% of the people. But uh, so when you went to Florida, did you jump right into doing kind of the same stuff you're doing now or, or what, uh, what did you do after that? Yeah, I, I was willing, I, I had learned through the many, through the many trials and errors that it has to be success is the only option. It has to work. There is no option. And I, I had decided to never work for anyone again. And I would have felt like I was a failure in life if I did, if I did have to go back to work. So I, I also said, Hey, I'm not getting a job in Florida. That is not going to be an option. So I got here and, you know, for the first couple of months, I was just trying to live life. I was enjoying myself and going out and meeting people and trying to build the friend group and whatnot. Banging um, the census check. Basically. Yeah. So I, uh, but I eventually said, I need to, I really need to start selling some, I need to start selling some websites. Um, so I went down the main drag here in here in town where I still live to this day. And I walked up the main strip with my laptop and I just walked into businesses and said, Hey, I'm new in town. I make great websites. Would you can consider giving me a shot? And, um, it ended up being a not fruitful day. And I had to walk into all these businesses, get out of here. I don't, I love my website, shut up, get out of here, whatever. And I got rejected so many times. 
I'll never forget. I was almost on the verge of tears. It was, uh, it was February. I was wearing a suit basically out in the su- out in the sun, sweating, walking down the street with my laptop, which I didn't even need. Cause I didn't even end up opening it. I remember calling my dad saying, I'm not going to, I'm never going to sell out here. Cause I had asked him, how do I, how do I sell in real life? Everything had always been referrals when I lived in Connecticut. It was friends of friends and uncles and this and that. So I called him from this bench and I said, I'm never going to sell something out here. This is not work. Your idea sucked, you know, because he was the one that told me, go down Main Street and walk into every place. And I called him. I was so frustrated. And he's, he said, look, if, imagine if it was that easy. You could just walk in and you're just going to get one right away. He said, go, get, go try one more before you head home or whatever, and then try again tomorrow. So I had basically given up. I was standing in front of a flower shop. I walked into the flower shop and instead of approaching it, like I had approached all the other people, I walked in and I said, Hey, I love this flower shop. This is such a cool shop. And I was, it was just like a hail Mary. I said, Hey, just so you know, I'm in new in town and I'm building websites. I've been asking people, been getting rejected all day, but I love the shop. I don't know if you guys even have a website before I went in any other shop, I had researched and whatnot. So I don't even know if you have a website, but you know, if you, if you'd consider it, here's my card. Nice to meet you guys. And I just left very non-aggressive, not getting an answer. Interestingly enough, uh, two days later, the woman gave me a call and I sold my first website to that flower shop. And every job after that, I said, Hey, this flower shop down on main street, um, you know, they, they just hired me to do their website. Would you consider letting me do it for you. And what I did was I underpriced myself to the market and promised them that I would over deliver. I had plenty of evidence and I was charging, I I was charging probably half to 33% of what a, of what a traditional website of this caliber would cost. And I knew that I would get jobs simply because I was underpriced in the market. So my strategy was underprice myself, get my funnel cooking, and then start to raise my prices as I was out of, out of time. And, um, Interestingly enough, a few months later, I had kind of another idea where it was, how do I, I need to be part of the web community. I joined this website called meetup.com and I went to a web developer meetup, which was a bunch of nerds and kind of older people. And it was very weird and stuffy. And I thought, if I can't find a good web development group, let me just make one myself. So I started a web development group and I said, I'll meet you at the Whole Foods dining room at this time on this day, if somebody wants to show up. And the first day, one lady showed up and I talked to her about websites. And the next time two people showed up and we talked about websites and then three people showed up and four people showed up. And before I knew it, I had six or seven people sitting around me at a table in this Whole Foods where we would talk about websites. And what I realized is that they didn't want to talk about websites. They wanted to figure out how to get a website made. They needed a helper. They, they really just were trying to save money. So then I started selling services, consulting, training, and websites to that little ecosystem of people. And that was kind of how it all got started. I would sell one for a thousand, sell one for 1500, a website or a graphic design logo here and there. And I just slowly started to um, accumulate jobs as it, uh, as it went. Yeah, that's uh, that's fascinating. The uh, the the initial uh, flower shop that you kind of softened your approach with mm-hmm. did did that make you pivot moving forward to always have kind of a, a softer sales approach to all the other stuff, or or did you go back to being a little harder sales wise? I to this day I've I have I don't know I don't know if I've ever walked down the street and solicited website sales ever again after that point i realized that efficiency was the name of the game and it's if i'm a web developer 
I have to understand that what I know is more than the next business down the street. So to, I thought to myself, why am I not using the internet to market my internet services? It seemed I wanted to always be that, that connected to the reality type of person, but really it was the internet that I needed to use to sell it. So I started um, buying ads online and I started um, posting a lot of content on my website and using the internet to generate the sales, trying to rank my website locally for WordPress web development so that the leads started coming to me as opposed to me having to go and hunt all the time. And I tried all varieties of things, but it, I realized that I realized that people people are ultimately buying from people. They're not they're not necessarily even buying what you have. They're buying the trust that the job will get done. And because they don't really know what it is, I had to be different than all the other web developers. They were all, they were all bad communicator, introverted, nerdy types that kind of couldn't explain what it was. So I was the I was the normal guy. I was the cool guy that could explain to you this very nerdy um, hyper-technical subject. And it kind of taught me that. that. And I had asked, I asked the woman that bought the website for me, what made you, what made you hire me that day? Because she could have gotten a website from any number of other people. And she said, you reminded me of my son. And she, you, the entrepreneurial spark in you made me just want to give you a chance because I hope somebody would give my son a chance. Mm-hmm. And that kind of taught me a lot too, where it's not so much about what I have, but who I am and whether or not they trust that I'm going to really give it my all to deliver. So that was a, a great learning lesson. So don't be an insufferable douche, rather be a, a nice, wholesome young man that, uh, that plays to, uh, you know, a mother's sensitivities. I like it. Uh, so is, is that a big part of what you still do now or how, how have you transitioned into kind of what your main gig is uh, currently? Yeah. So I, it's, it's kind of an, it's kind of an interesting tale. I had always built websites for other people. And I remember thinking to myself a million times, these guys are getting all the upside. Once the website is done, I get my 5,000 or 3,000 or whatever it is. And then they are off to take all the money, all the monetization and upside for the long term. And I was building, I was building websites the same way that you would build a house. It's like, I built a great foundation, great walls, great bones, great operation so that it would be long lasting. You wouldn't need a website for five or 10 years. So I remember thinking I need to find a way to make the business not about me. It can't be a Bobby business. It has to be a resellable business. It has to be a business that 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 can chart upwards. So I realized that I need to start owning my own sites. So instead of building sites for others and letting them and letting them take it to pasture and make money, I had to build some of my own. So I built two websites for myself that I owned, managed, operated, and tried to monetize. And interestingly enough, over the course of the next few years, I learned a million things about what to do right and wrong about these two sites. The long and short of it is I got really frustrated because eventually the sites didn't make as much money as they had made initially and they started to fall out of favor. So I had to make more, build more websites to get my cash flow up. So I, I got approached by a guy that wanted to sell, that was trying to sell my sites. He said he had seen them online. Would you ever consider selling them? I put them on this to this brokerage for this guy to sell these websites. After a year, he was unable to sell these sites. And I was to the point where I was so frustrated with the price that he had told me he'd be able to sell them for that I was willing to sell them for one year of revenue, which at the time was $10,000. Each of them was making 10 grand a year. 
And I was willing to sell them for 15K just to get them off my books, get the 15K and move on with my life. And I realized how difficult it was to sell these websites. So I thought to myself one day, I had this epiphany, a frustration moment, back up against the wall. How do, how do I figure this out? And I realized that if it's so hard to sell them, then why don't I become a buyer? Why don't I try to find people that are frustrated like me that would sell a website for one year of what it's making? So I bought a website that was making $115 a month and I bought it for $4,000, which was about 30, 30 times or 28 times or whatever, what it was making um, average per month. And I made back the $4,000 on that website in 60 days. Wow. I made the full 4,000 back. And that website to this day will make about $2,000 a month. So I said, well, let me buy another site. So I bought another one and then another one and then another one. And I slowly started to supplant my web development, hand-to-hand -hand combat income with free cash flow from sites that I manage. I did that until the, I got to a point where the websites were making enough in their own cash flow, but I didn't want to build websites anymore. I kind of was at this inflection point where I wondered, I don't want to make websites, but I want to make more money. I'm limited to how many of these I can buy. What do I do? I had been making videos on my Instagram that were having very moderate success, 500 views, 700 views. I happened to make a video at this very crucial inflection point where I was trying to figure out what to do with the next step of my life. And I woke up the next day and one of my views, one of my videos had 60,000 views and I had 5,000 followers on Instagram from a thousand overnight. And I thought, okay, maybe this is something, I don't know. Let me make another one. See if I could do it again. 55,000 views on the second video. I said, I'm going to make a video every day from now until the election. See what happens. After, after 10 days, I got a text message or I got a DM from Andy Frisella from First Form. And here's a guy that has 2 million followers. And this guy's like, hey, I got to get you on my podcast. I didn't even know who Andy Frisella was. And I'm just like, wait a second. I have Tommy Vexed, a, a, a billboard charting, internationally known musician, rock star. I have Andy Frisella in my DM. I have people that are of high caliber that I didn't even know existed, interested in what I'm producing. And I thought this could really be something that could actually work. So I decided to just make videos full time into the election and see what happened. After about 20 days, I realized I can't build websites anymore. I have to, I have to be willing to lose that income to create what could be out of this, this <laughs> next level. Um, so I've just been making videos ever since. My my owned and operated websites cash flow enough to keep me alive, and then the uh, the Instagram social media business has supplanted um, almost all of the web development income in in the last year. That's a that's a cool story. There's no no two ways about it, and it uh, it reminds me in in some ways. Uh, similarly to to my journey through through entrepreneurship, and and I think with a lot of guys that that have that kind of light switch moment where they say, "I'm fucking done working for somebody else," and and I'd I'd rather live out of my fucking truck or car or whatever than answer to somebody else and and work for anybody, you know. And uh, and and once you decide that, then it's you know you burn the bridge or the boats or cut the safety nets and and you go full speed ahead and and you do what what's necessary. But I know for me, and it sounds like for you also, is that that those pivots that you make are kind of where that that journey becomes really interesting and, and fruitful. And, and most of them are, are not foreseen or planned or even something that you ever would have thought 
that you'd be doing a, a year prior, you know, and, and it's really interesting how that works, but, uh, it's, it's fascinating stuff. I know a lot of your content is, is politics based and, and current events and business and, uh, you know, even foreign policy and stuff. So I wanted to kind of go through some of, uh, just some of the hotbed topics that, that are today that I know a lot of people value your, your perspective on how is Joe Biden doing? <laughs> uh, uh, Joe Biden made every made every foreign policy, every wrong foreign policy decision when he was in the Obama White House and has been a career politician since forever. This yeah. guy represents the swamp in every possible way imaginable. Um, <clears throat> and I think that really, as much as I say the guy's not about his the guy's not mentally there and mentally fit, it's almost to the point where it's it's really concerning because this nation that we <laughs> that we obviously love so much that we that we care so much for um, is really at risk. So I think he's obviously doing a, an objectively terrible job across the board. And then that's not because I'm a I'm a Donnie fan or I'm a Republican or whatever. It's just if you look issue to issue, topic to topic. It's just bad. What happened yeah. in Afghanistan is bad. The 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 spending money relentlessly is bad. And not and that's not just a Joe Biden thing. Donnie spent a ton of money and all presidents have. Um, but I think that there's so many things that he represents that make America just look weak. And if your leader is that weak, not only in optics, but in policy and not even being able to convince his own party to pass certain bills, it's just very troubling. And, and I think with how bad the country has gotten in the last 12 months, we still have three more years. Oh, no. so I think it's extremely concerning. And, and I think it's safe to say that you love America as much as I love America. And we care not about America, but about the people of America and the future of the world. And we understand that, and I don't want to speak for you, but we understand that America's responsibility has and always will be to lead, to be a thought leader, to be a to be a policy leader, and to lead the world into prosperity, and let people know that free, independent people with liberty can can make the world a really prosperous and beautiful place. And he represents a threat to it, and so I'm just I'm very dissatisfied with it. However, I think that it's like the yin and yang of life. You you need to you need to have your back up against the wall sometimes. And interestingly enough, my greatest breakthroughs in life has have come at my worst moments. It's yeah. when I it's when I was nearly on the verge of tears that I sold my first website. It's when I was frustrated banging my banging my head against my desk that I realized that the software that I used to build websites was out of date and I needed to learn a new system. That new system rocket shipped my business. Every single thing that's come good in my life has come at the heels of some great depression. And I don't mean mental depression. I mean, a depression in the progress and a, a, a roadblock. So this represents, I think in a lot of ways, the similar downturn and roadblocks of life. You have to, you have to have your back up against the wall. You have to realize how bad it gets. You have to realize how much politics is life and not this far and away thing that you just don't want to pay attention to. Politics is what happens to you and your children every day. And I think that this might be the, hopefully the learning lesson that teaches people that they have to be more involved, pay more attention and look how bad it can get. Let's never let this happen again. So even though I hate to go through that moment, it's kind of, 
It's kind of the scrape the gum off the floor at the grocery store moment where you'll never forget it the rest of your life. And I hope that this is a teachable moment for this generation and generations of the future of how bad it could get if we were all to be complacent head in the clouds. Donnie is a very bad orange man with mean tweets. Let's do anything but him. How bad that can uh, how bad that can get if you don't pay attention. Yeah, I agree. I think we're, you know, largely a, a victim of our own success generationally. You know, we've we've yep. had it too good for too long. And that that adage of, uh, you know, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, weak, weak men create hard times, hard times create strong men is, is historically as accurate as anything. And, and that's for millennia now at this point that that, that lesson has has continued to, to ring true and be learned the hard way fucking over and over. Um, I, I will say that there's a there's a strange irony in that. Um, you know, the, the ability to, to be able to have that perspective and, and kind of come together hinges on people fucking up and, um, you know, and, and, you know, basically fumbling and, and making people, you know, kind of point out the obvious that, uh, that that's what it takes to, uh, you know, to come together and, and fix problems. Take, uh, you know, September 12th, 2001, right. Uh, as a good example, you know, if you take September 10th and September 12th, that, you know, there's two days between there that, that, uh, you know, our, our country was about as, as, you know, different as it could have been in a, in a 48 hour, uh, period as, as possible, you know? So I, I agree. And that, you know, sometimes that's what it takes to, um, you know, to, to get people's attention and, and, you know, actually do something about it. But there's, to me, the, the frustrating part is, is the spin. Um, and this is on both sides. Um, but it, it, it sure seems like, the, the left takes a, a much bigger role uh, or plays a much bigger role specifically with the media in burying their head in the sand and, and gaslighting the shit out of people, you know, like, no, you don't actually see what's happening. You're, you're fucking crazy. It's actually really good. And you just don't realize it, you know? And it's like, either you think we're that stupid or you're that stupid, you know, but, but neither one of them is, is acceptable. And, and, you know, it's really just pissing in everybody's cornflakes. I mean, the, I hate the fact that it's taken two years to get to the point where people are actually paying attention saying, Hey, wait a minute, what the fuck? Uh, yeah. you know, with a lot of the COVID restrictions and, and studies from not right leaning, uh, organizations, IE Johns Hopkins talking about how, how shutdowns don't prevent the spread of, of, uh, viruses specifically COVID and, and how detrimental they are to economies and, and mental health. But, uh, it's kind of like too little too late, but, um, to, to play to play devil's advocate and not just completely trash the guy, I'm going to caveat it with I am no fan of the fucking guy. But uh, is there anything that he's done that you think is good or that you like that Biden has done that I think is good? Yeah. Um. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast. With first-hand witnessed accounts of the strange and unexplained covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. 
UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. That's a tough question. Uh, <clears throat> no, I mean, nothing, nothing jumps out to me. I spend, so, <laughs> I spend so much time trying to identify all of the bad things. Nothing really, nothing really comes to mind off the top of my head. I think if I thought about it for a few more minutes, I probably could come up with something, but well, we I can, think, we can have three minutes of just totally uncomfortable silence while you come up with something. I would say, I would say that some of the ideas that he has pretended to represent in theory. Yeah. Are good. Are, are good. You know, <laughs> I think that, I think that the biggest problem with Donnie, for example, was he, he put his foot in his mouth so many times and ended up tripping over his own his own feet. And in a lot of ways, that was the magic that made him great. But in other ways, it was non-beneficial. I think if you're the most powerful person in the world, things like things like let's just use a stupid one, like making fun of Rosie O'Donnell, for example, non-beneficial. It's yeah. it, it's he he made it so that it was hard for people that were maybe on the fence to go along with the policies if you can hide the policies in immaturity it's it's troubling so i think that what what he pretends to represent as being as being this reasonable person um is the is generally the right idea his execution is poor but i do believe that being more having more leadership qualities is certainly the correct way. Ha has he done any of that? I would say no, but I believe that they're the way that they're trying to brand him is a little bit more accurate, you know, being understanding and understanding that there's a lot of different types of people in the world and in the U S and that the eyes of the world are on you and making fun of Rosie O'Donnell to just use a stupid example, not necessary, you know, yeah. we, no one, no one needed that. And don't get me wrong. I laughed just like everybody else did. Um, but I, I think that you kind of have to get to a point where it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of like if somebody, if someone with a hundred followers on Twitter insults your character and you have a, you have a million followers on Twitter and you respond back and tell them they're a piece of shit or whatever you have a million, you know, you're, that's beneath your that's beneath your realm of purview. You don't have to engage with those folks. And I think that that's a thing that we all kind of learn once we're out in the open and exposed, so to speak, where we have attention is certain things you're just not worth addressing. And I think that he got trapped in that um, a lot. So yeah. I would say that what he represents or the idea what they're trying to represent with him, someone that's a little bit more level headed, I suppose, is the yeah. right idea. Yeah, I don't know that I'd call Biden level-headed at this point. No, right. So it seems like his mind is more like a rusty fucking spaghetti strainer than anything else. But uh, <laughs> you know the the stuff about Trump. I, I agree. I think uh, two things is that you know he he's had so much money for so long and has been the guy at the helm of his own corporation or enterprise, whatever you want to call it, where it doesn't matter how he acts. Right? Is that there's a lot of people that that want to work for him or are willing to work with him that they don't. They don't care how he treats them, what he says, and he's gotten away with that so long where it's, hey, this is my fucking house. 
I do what I want. I say what I want and you can fucking deal with it. And he still is successful and makes enough money for it to not matter. Yep. Um, you know, and so now transferring over into where that's not the case anymore, it really bit him in the ass. And I think, you know, things like, you know, like what you mentioned, the Rosie O'Donnell stuff, or, or to me, one of the biggest problems I had, uh, and I think made him look like, like a shitty leader is firing people with, within his circle and doing it publicly, like firing them on Twitter and, and talking shit about them like a child would. And to me, you know, if, if there's anybody on the planet that needs to adhere to a, a mental concept of stoicism, it's the fucking president of the United States, yeah. you know, and, and, and exude a, you will not live between my fucking ears rent free and nothing can fucking rattle me, you know, is, is that if, if you, make sure everybody understands that you can't get in my head. You can't flat me. You can't frustrate me. You can't piss me off. That's a really hard fucking guy to, to be able to defeat, you know, both on an international scale as well as politically here at home. And, and, and if he would have just adopted some of those kind of stoic type personality traits and, and been more, um, you know, that, that way, as far as kind of holding his, his cards way closer and, and what have you, I, I think it would have been a, a, a slam dunk of, of being reelected. And our thing, I think our country would be in a much, much better place right now. I really do. I mean, I didn't particularly like the guy personally. I mean, not that I knew him, but personality wise, but you know, to me, that's one of those things where actions like in every way, speak way louder than words and, and his actions and policies by and large were very, very good for this country. Whereas the transverse with Biden, it's, it's the exact opposite, but, right. um, all right. So, uh, Chinese Olympics, uh, you mentioned you're not watching them for a host of reasons. Is it mostly the, the, you know, not wanting to support NBC and China, or is there more to it than that? Or it, I mean, that's certainly a part of it. One of the things that I preach to people is that we have to, we have to understand <clears throat> that we need to vote with our dollars and vote with our attention. So that's one of them. The other thing is I don't see any personal, I don't see any personal benefit to me watching them. I don't, I don't, I'm not entertained by it. I don't, it doesn't matter to me. Even things like football. I, I love football. I played football. I enjoyed watching it, but I didn't watch any games this season because that's a Sunday. That's Sunday. I could spend outside. I could ride my bike. I could be exercising. I could be producing. I like outputting and, and making progress. So anything that doesn't specifically solve either an entertainment or relaxation need or a productivity need, I tend to lean away. On yeah. top of that, I think that what they've done, I think that the human rights abuses in China are out of control. And that's not to say that there's not bad things that go on in the US or any other nation. But if we're going to identify this one place, there's a lot of real shitty, horrible things that happen in China. And what happens with those Uyghur Muslims and so many other things are absolutely terrifying. And you have the largest, essentially, you know, prison camp dictatorship style economy there or type of a, a country there that I certainly, if I was on the fence about whether or not I wanted to watch, I would certainly not watch for that reason specifically. But it's not any one, it's, it's not, you know, I've been watching the NFL in the playoffs and I don't like the things that they said, but I enjoy the competitive nature of sport. I enjoy um, the world's greatest athletes competing and, and, and working hard. I love to see that. So it's a little bit of everything, but I would say the fact that it's in China certainly pushes me over the edge of I'm not watching or consuming any of this. They don't deserve any of my money or any of my attention. And I would much rather be producing than, than consuming. And at least as it relates to that. Yeah. I, I don't disagree with any of that. I, I, uh, ultimately I, I feel, 
sympathy for a lot of the athletes, um, yeah. you know, that, that are gifted, that have worked their ass off that, you know, have spent their entire lives and they have a very short window of time that, and, and it's just at the right time age wise, you know, yep. prime, prime of their life for their sport, et cetera, that, that it gets, uh, kind of trampled on by all of those things. And I think some of the other athletes, whether it's that, uh, Eileen goo chick that, uh, you know, was born in San Francisco and, and last minute decided she's going to ski for China and wins gold. And, and, uh, and then just a lot of the kind of social justice bullshit that, that some athletes, not, not most, but some attach themselves to, and, and really, you know, it's kind of like, you know, dumping oil in a fucking swimming pool. It's like, you know, mo most of the pool is still fresh water, but there's just enough to kind of taint it and make people say, you know what, fuck it. For the same reason, a lot of people aren't watching the NFL or, uh, or even major league baseball, you know, I mean, it's just, you know, basketball, the same thing. It's like viewership in, in all of these areas where historically they've not been infused with politics or social justice issues or what have you now that they are, you know, are, 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 and have tanked considerably. Yep. Um, you know, you, you'd think that there'd be kind of a more, um, or a better understanding on the, on the business side from, you know, the, the networks, from the athletes, from, you know, from all that stuff that they would, uh, you know, maybe understand that a little better, but ultimately it's, it's up to them. Um, Ukraine, uh, what is your position on, uh, the U S's involvement or lack thereof, uh, via Ukraine and, and kind of what's going on there and whether or not we should do anything. You know, I, I only have so much time in the day. And so I don't know everything there is to know about it, but I would say that I generally subscribe to the Ron Paul, the Ron Paul view of the world when it comes to foreign entanglements, mind your I mean, fucking business. Yeah. We don't yeah. need to be the policeman of the world. Number one, number two, I remember seeing the president, the president or whatever they call him of Ukraine saying we're good. And there was this contentious phone call between him and Joe about whether or not we needed to be there. We're not protecting our own border. <laughs> And hundreds of thousands of American citizens are dying from fentanyl overdoses from people coming in at the southern border. In addition to that, you have human trafficking violations. You have probably probably terrorists and a variety of other people pouring over our southern border. Yet we're sending thousands of troops to defend a, a, a border over there. It's almost it almost brings me to full stop just based on that alone. Even if things were crazy over there, that's not of our concern. And and I think that. I was just talking with a friend the other day about this. The fact if you, I wouldn't trust Joe Biden to run my donut shop for seven days, yeah. let alone choose policy decisions that represent us and put us in danger. Right. Or, or the lives of thousands of, of, of our, of our armed, our armed forces, which are on the way over there. Number one, we're spending a ton of money, bad. Number one, number two, we're not the policemen of the world. Number three, their president says that we don't need to get involved. I don't know the details, but that seems like a good amount. We're not protecting <laughs> our own border. That's insane. On top of it, I would wager that, that, Putin is a lot more mentally astute and sharp than Joe is right now. And in a lot of ways, this guy that's been in control for all these years and is very connected and is pretty much a hyper intelligent individual. This guy is probably 10 steps ahead of us. Wouldn't it be crazy if it was so obvious that this guy made played played us right into his hands where he causes a little stir to cause us to overreact, gets Joe to make another stupid decision, which he's been known to do. We get there and he uses that as the sign that we're being aggressive. And then he goes to a country like China or Xi Jinping and says, hey, look, the U.S. is going to get aggressive over this. This is nothing. What if you and I teamed up? And then now you have this photo of the leader of China and Putin standing together, just saying, just so you know, 
There's two, there's three world powers and here's two of them. What are you going to do about that? Because if we were to really have a competitor in the world stage, that's who it would be a unification between those two countries, not only not only because of their geographic location and the advantages they have with natural resources, gold reserves, uh, and, and physical human beings, um, that really represents the greatest threat to us. On top of that, dollar hegemony is basically the thing that makes the U.S. of, of value on the world stage. If there was to be some other competing currency that really was to really give us a run for our money, for example, one between Russia and China, we would really be in a lot of trouble. So I would wager that he's 10 steps ahead. He's He knows the moves that we're going to make and we're playing right into it. And to me, it seems like a trap. To me, it seems like a non-issue. And meanwhile, we have hundreds of thousands of people dying here from purely fentanyl over the border alone. And to think that we're going to send thousands of troops over there and risk American citizens' lives, young men and women, to defend some shit that we probably shouldn't even be involved in, it's a preposterous trap. And I think that it's more evidence that our decisions about who sets the policy have a lot of negative ramifications. And I don't care if you don't like Donnie, this shit is bad. And it's it's just further indicator to me that instead of watching the Olympics, I need to produce content instead of instead of taking the trip, instead of going to the concert that I want to go to uh, later this month, I'm going to go to CPAC and meet more people. I'm going to try to build my network, build my distribution, spread the truth and vote with my my ears and my attention and my dollars and my feet. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, again, I don't uh, don't disagree with any of that. I think one of the things where, you know, the Russia, China thing that that relationship proves to be um, Dr. Evil like and how dangerous it is almost yeah. that, that I think a lot of people don't realize there, there's no question. Many Americans, uh, I think, overvalue or, or are overly afraid of Russia's standing as it relates to their economy and their military presence, with one main exception, which I'll get into in a second. Their, their GDP is is less than Italy's. Right. So like from an economic power standpoint, they don't bring a whole lot to the table militarily. Similarly, would they be a much tougher fight than the Iraqi army? Yes. Uh, would we still have any trouble with them? Not not really. Right. Um, the, the one flip side of that is that China has has those two things in spades. Right. Their economy is almost as, as strong as ours now. It's not far off. And I would bet that eight to 10 years from now, it will eclipse ours, if not sooner, with the printing of money and the, and the devaluing of our own currency and, and uh, you know, through means of inflation and everything else. Um, their, and their military is fucking enormous, uh, you know, whether it's ships, planes, troops, uh, the technology, you know, similarly, it, it's beginning to, to eclipse our own nation's military. The one thing that they don't have, and this is where Russia, uh, or there's two things really uh, that Russia really adds adds to the table. Not that China doesn't have a strong um, cyber uh, platform in terms of of an offense, but Russia has the most nukes uh, of any country on the planet. They have more than we do. Um, you know where, and they've got I think it's like five thousand uh, some odd nukes. Uh, the United States has four thousand and some. I mean, at that point, like it's still. 10, 10x what you'd need to destroy the entire planet, but China has a few hundred. Uh, you know, um, so when you combine those two, and you've got massive economy and and military force on one side, coupled with really really savvy uh, cyber uh, offensive yep. capabilities and a shit ton of nuclear weapons, 
that's a fucking bad combination, you know? And, and so people should be, I think, more worried than they are when, when you see that now, but it also reminds me a little bit to your point that you made earlier about the, the kind of poking and prodding and being 10 steps ahead. It does remind me a little bit of jujitsu. I don't know if you do jujitsu at all, um, or, or chess, mm-hmm. uh, and that they're very similar and that, you know, the, the setups and the feints and the, I'm going to do this, you know, three, four things to get them to do that, which is going to put me in the position to do this. Uh, I think is largely what's going on now. And, and they're, you know, when you, when you have a, a guy like Biden and an administration, that's more worried about proper use of pronouns and handing out $30 million worth of fucking crack pipes. Um, <laughs> you know, you, you have a, a society that's very easily tricked into being pissed off about the wrong things, being worried about things that aren't worth being worried about and not worrying about the things that they do need to be worried about. And so uh, it is fucking troubling and, and America needs to pull their head out of their ass fast uh or or they're going to shove it even further up than uh, than it already is but yep um the canadian trucker protest i.e the freedom convoy uh have you been paying attention to that yes thoroughly very what are deep. your thoughts i think it's insurrection i think it's tremendous <laughs> i think it's the i think it's the most well-organized largest peaceful protest maybe that's ever existed in history i think that they are deserving of a tremendous amount of respect and i'm all for it I think there's a beautiful thing about it that makes it different than all other protests that I've ever seen is that they have a bedroom at the protest site and they can't be. And, and the fact that the fact that they're able to do that and, and exist there for a long period of time gives them a unique advantage that I feel no other protest has ever really had where they can really gridlock things. And I think that of all people in the world to do it, Canadians tend to be very, very kind and generous and loving people. And the fact that you have kind of the nicest people in the world, all with that are very thoughtful about all the things that they do. And they happen to convince people that are vaccinated to go and protest against it. And the fact that it was so well organized and so needed at just the right time. I have so much respect and reverence for them. And I think the way that they're handling it is so great. And the fact that there hasn't been any violence or any destruction, I think is tremendous. And I have all the respect in the world for them. I think it is absolutely needed. And I think for the first time in recent history, you know, I've always felt that the U.S. kind of leads the world. And now it's I feel right now the world is being led by those people in Canada. I feel like they're showing the world what can really be done when people unite in a very and I think it's beautiful it's a sight to see I think it's a historic event and I'm all for it and I think that a little bit of discomfort is worth it considering if you look at the protests that have happened really in the United States all the ones that have been effective the free market kind of dictates to people what you have to do in order for things to work. You have to disrupt things. It's really sad that that's the case, but that's just the way of the world. If you stand in a park for so long and the news cameras don't go on you, you don't exist. It doesn't matter. So they understand that there has to be disrupt disruption. What is the least invasive disruption that will that that shows that you're not a, a chaos creator, but you get noticed? They organize in the nation's capital. They leave space for emergency vehicles to get through. They're well organized. They're willing to allow the police and whoever else to be there and do whatever they got to do. They're not destroying anything. They're not hurting anyone. Um, I think it's just brilliant. And I'm <laughs> so thankful that it's happening right now. I, I do think it's surprising that, uh, or, or I would say it's telling that 
if you've pissed off basically the most polite people on the planet to the right. point where they're they're doing this, that that should tell you everything you need to know about how fucked up your policies are. That's it's right. it's like getting a nun to to swear at you, right? I mean, uh, exactly. it's yeah, it's it's uh, it's wild shit. I, I did see that there are instances where they're like confiscating people, bringing them fuel to keep their their trucks running, which uh, you know is is fucking nuts. I mean, the, and what what really bothers me, I think. Uh, on on our side specifically the media is the way that some media outlets are portraying it as insurrectionists and you yep. know uh you know violent protesters and and alt-right neo-nazi white supremacists and, and all this other inflammatory you know coined terms that get thrown around every time they don't have any other uh way to try to defeat something that's kicking their asses throw the racism or, or supremacy card uh, out which is uh which is laughable at this point i mean it's been overused so many times that it just doesn't even have any teeth anymore but exactly. um all right so um i guess kind of moving on to uh, other things uh kind of in this country i guess uh or, or actually uh, impacts in this country but something that's that's worldwide that seem as seems as kind of in the same vein as the freedom fighters but on, on the financial side as cryptocurrency mm-hmm. uh nfts and and you know the relationship between the stock market where gold plays a role uh the s and p 500 and and whether or not uh it it seems to kind of dictate where crypto goes and and whatnot i'm curious to get your takes do you mess with it do you follow it uh, and what are your thoughts on it generally speaking yeah, I, I I bought a bunch of um I bought a bunch of Ethereum, Litecoin, and 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 Bitcoin a long time ago, uh, several years ago, and I made a little bit of money, but I to me I found a tough time. The thing that really made me get away from it was understanding what is the objective value and how do you calculate it. When I buy a stock, for example, I'm buying a piece of a business that has intellectual property, that has cash flow, that has sales, that has assets, that has profits. I can look at the balance sheet every quarter and I could say, you know, look at these profits. If the business is valued at $100 billion and they're making $10 billion of profit per year, do I think it's a 10, this company is worth a 10x multiple? Can I understand the valuation? If I buy a stock of the company at its current market price, if, I w- if they were to sell the business for that, for that market cap, would it be worth it if you were to buy it outright? And it helps me understand what a business is really worth. Um, you can look at the price to earnings ratio, and that's how you value any stock. The same way you would value any traditional business, gas station, sandwich shop, whatever else. And the same way that I value websites when I buy them. I look at the long term of it. How long has it been making money? How much profit does it make? What multiple am I willing to pay? What future earnings am I willing to bet on? When it comes to crypto, like Bitcoin, for example, you're, there is no there is no value basis. The coin itself holds no value. It only holds value if somebody else is willing to pay that amount. Whereas, and you could say that about any asset. However, these businesses are cash flowing. Bitcoin has no cash flow. There is no balance sheet. There is no generation. There is no output. There's no value to be held. It is just an it is just an invisible token. And some people will say, well, so is the fiat, so is fiat currency. Yeah, well, fiat currency. If you don't pay in taxes, if you don't pay with that currency in taxes, you can go to jail. So it has the full backing of the United States government and every country in the world that accepts it. Whereas Bitcoin is whoever wants to pay for it tomorrow. The fact that I can't understand how to evaluate whether or not a coin or a, or a tag will go up or down based on a balance sheet makes me feel uneasy about it and not believe that it's an investment. 
I believe that it's an effective way of transferring money to from point A to point B. And I think that the blockchain certainly is a is a is a world changing technology that is certainly deserving of our attention. However, how do you evaluate something that has no assets? How do you evaluate what a Bitcoin is going to be? Why is it worth 100,000 versus 5,000? There's no rhyme or reason to it other than the pulse of the marketplace and what people think that it's worth. Because of that reason, I don't find it to be an investment. So I don't have any Bitcoin. Um, I think that a lot of people have made money in it. And I think that it certainly is worthy of attention. I won't completely dismiss it for other people who find other needs for it. Um, but I personally don't have any cryptocurrency now, and I don't feel like I'm missing out in that respect. I think there's there's a lot of manias that happen in the financial world. And I like buying traditional businesses because I'm a long hold investor. If I buy a stock in Verizon, a company that I pay every day, a company that I subscribe to every day, a company that I believe generally is doing the right thing, that I can see their balance sheet, they pay me a dividend. I feel much more comfortable with my investment sitting there for a, the long term. Whereas with Bitcoin, I was always looking at where it was. So when I look at my stocks, I could look at it once a month and it doesn't matter. Bitcoin, I was looking at it every 10 minutes. So okay. I, like to, I like to invest in assets that I can control. I like to invest in assets that I can influence the upside of them. And for that reason, I don't know how to value crypto so i don't invest in it anymore when uh when you say for that reason that makes me think of uh kevin o'leary from shark tank for that reason i'm out right uh, exactly. I love oh, oh mr wonderful um I, i'm going to preface this with i am not an expert i'm not a crypto analyst um you know i i you know i'm not uh a consultant as it relates to crypto i will say that my viewpoints are different now than they were, say, two years ago, um, which mirrored yours almost to a T is that, you know, it, it didn't make sense. You know, it's like fiat currency is, is the representation of a GDP or an economy of a, of a country. And so it's tangible. You can quantify and, and wrap your arms around why that currency is worth what it is or not, you know, why it tanks, why it goes up and, and etc. Um, I, I think where where cryptocurrency um, gets kind of a bad name, um, you know, and, and and is has people reluctant to get involved in it is is in a couple of main things. Number one is is first and foremost calling it currency. Um, yeah. Is that it, it's a bit of a misnomer. Yes, there's an element of it being a digital token slash currency that exists, but but it's really more of a representation of software and or a service based on what platform and what coin it is. And I think, you know, that that was probably the, the biggest turning point for me to understand kind of better how it works. And again, I, I want to reiterate, I'm not a fucking expert. Um, I, I just, you know, my views and philosophies on it have evolved over the last few years uh, to, to look at it a little more. I hate to even use the word favorably, but just a, a, maybe a better understanding of, of how it actually works. And I think take Microsoft as an example, you know. Microsoft overwhelmingly is is software, right? Is that if you if you say to yourself like, well, what product do they really have? Well, they have operating systems. They have software that allow you to to do certain things digitally. Yep. And you know, with most cryptocurrencies, that's kind of the same thing. Is, is that you know, a lot of people don't I, I don't think realize 
the while while it may seem nuanced to an outsider, there's some pretty significant differences in the different crypto assets that that what they do, what they bring to the table, and, and why they're valuable are vastly fucking different. Um, you know, so so looking at it that way, I think is is an important distinction. Also, looking at it as just a place to uh, to kind of shelve your money uh, is also something that I think gets wildly misrepresented or, or underutilized, uh, specifically with staking and mining or just putting U.S. dollars into, into say, Tether, a, a digital coin that, that you can just, instead of using a bank account, get 10% uh, you know, annually on, on $100,000 that you put in there, vice, you know, basically nothing by having it in a, in a Wells Fargo account. You know? So that, that brings a lot to the table, too. And I think lastly, um, you know, the ability to, to be able to move it from, from an anonymity standpoint and not even from a, you know, getting out of paying taxes or, um, you know, black market kind of shit that sometimes gets uh, paralleled in, into, you know, kind of make, trying to make it look bad is that, <coughs> excuse me, is that just being, being autonomous in, in, in from a, a liberty or freedom standpoint is that I can send you money or vice versa. And it's just between you and I, and, and nobody else has to play a role. Nobody else is getting a fee. Uh, you know, and, and I think that, you know, that, that single element of keeping centralized banking, at least a little bit honest, or, or at least threatening them to say, look, there, there is an alternative fucking solution here that, yeah. that you can't access, that you can't be a part of unless you get into it the same way every other swing and dick does. And, and to me, I think if I had to pinpoint one thing that I like about it, uh, it's that it, it's yeah. that it's kind of a middle finger to, you know, the, the big family old school money that, it, that exists out there that steamrolls everybody into, into, mortgages and, and, you know, loans and, and other big financial institutions that, that butt fuck everybody and, and have set up a society that's, that's beholden to them. Uh, yep. and so for, for that reason, uh, you know, I, I, I like, uh, you know, the, the applications of crypto, I think that the volatility of it is, is very frightening to people, but to your point, you know, the, the, the from a long hold game standpoint, I mean, if you look at it, Historically, you know, whenever you bought in, you know, think about it. If you had held on to it now and not looked at it, yeah. where where would you be? You know, I would bet yeah. that you'd be 10x or more. You know, where, where you're at when you sold it. You know, so and and that's true, really, with with all coins. Is that the the volatility? I think makes people think that it, that it's going to drop to zero and never come back and whatever. But if if you look at at the long form charts of of growth in and pick any fucking coin. Uh, overwhelmingly, you see stock market like growth that just continues to go up, even though it, it bounces around a lot. When you stretch that uh, that chart out, it's much more linear and gradual. Uh, whereas, you know, the stock market has almost a hundred years or a hundred years plus, uh, you know, of, of reference to to look at and say it's it's gone from from here to to there. Whereas, you know, crypto because it's such a short amount of time, it's it's harder to to wrap your arms around uh, it, its growth and and, and volatility and, and looking at it <laughs> as a more stable stable asset, but again, yeah. not a fucking expert. I, I, I like what I see out of it, and I think it's interesting. And, and more than anything, I just like the the element of of being able to to tell uh, big banks to go fuck themselves. Um, you know, is is pretty neat. But I agree with um, all that. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, kind of uh, going into some more pop culture type stuff. There's 
two two last points that I have written down that I wanted to talk about. One uh, is just a stat I saw on a on a news blip today that seven in ten people live paycheck to paycheck here in the United States. I know I was at a point in my life not that long ago. I absolutely fell into that category. It sounds sounds like you know you you were in that same boat. Um, what, what would your advice be for those seven out of ten people? <laughs> <laughs> that live paycheck to paycheck and how to not be that way other than the story that you shared, or is that just that simple? I think, I think that auditing your expenses is one thing, but I don't think that you can cut your way to prosperity. I would encourage people to have and always have some type of alternative side hustle. I think that it has never been easier at any point in time to have a side hustle than it is right now. And to me, if I was in that position right now, the first thing that I would do is I would sign up to be an Uber Eats driver and I would start dropping off food. Any person could do that. You could do it at one o'clock in the morning, or you could be an Uber driver with your car. You could just turn on the app and make an additional hundred or $200 a week at any point. I think that the, I think that the crowd, the, uh, kind of like uh, the, the gig economy lends itself to any person with even the most basic of skills to be able to do that. You can, you can ride for Uber Eats on a bicycle. So I think there's no excuse. You have to have a side hustle. And I understand that people's time is limited. Okay, well, let's say that the kid is asleep. All right, put the kid in the car seat while they're sleeping or whatever in the back and go drop off a couple of, uh, go drop off a couple Uber Eats orders at 11 o'clock at night or whatever you got to do. And I think that, the side hustle game is essential there. In addition to that, I think that we squander a lot of, we squander a lot of productive time. And if anybody was just to figure out a way to spend that time on something that would change their position, um, they would live a better life. So for example, if you were to, if you were living paycheck to paycheck and you're not on YouTube, learning a new skill for an hour a day, then I have no sympathy for you because there have never been such an opportunity for people to learn an additional skill. There's, there's jobs you can do online, for example, um, where you can, you can write content. You know, maybe, you're not, maybe you're not a good writer, but most people know how to write. You can go online and you can write content for websites and make a couple cents a word and, and, and knock out a couple articles every night and send it to a company in the UK, in Australia or whatever else. There, the internet is the is the ultimate side hustle engine, and the gig economy has never been more accessible to anybody anywhere at any time. If you can just think about how to how to use that free time that everybody has to be a little bit more efficient to get an extra hundred bucks a week, um, I think you could get out of that situation fairly easily if you just develop an additional skill. That's the big problem that people have. I don't know how to do anything. Well, figure it out. You could go online, you could go on TaskRabbit and you could help people move. You could help people reorganize their closet. You know, you're capable of something. And I think the gig economy um, creates that opportunity for everybody. And I think there's no excuse. People go on TaskRabbit every day and say, I want a person to help me pack my, you know, pack my, uh, you know, organize my closet or, or, or rearrange uh, so the furniture in my living room, 20 bucks, 50 bucks, whatever it is, go on Craigslist, pick up an odd job. I think the side hustle game is the quickest solution to that. And I think that if you're not learning a skill, but you're spending an hour, an hour a day watching Netflix or going to get coffee or smoking a joint or whatever is the case, if you were to just use that hour, you'd have an extra seven hours a week. If even if you made minimum wage, 
that's an extra that's an extra 70 to 100 bucks and that could change your position in in, in a couple of weeks couple of months time and you could hopefully get out of that i, I think that's a, a super uh, valid point and i you know to to look at to me the uber eats thing is is the varsity play there um far more than an uber driver because at least for me yeah. like I, I don't want to fucking sit in there with total strangers over and over and, and whatever you know the dropping off the food thing is is mindless uh yeah. same with same with instacart right an instacart driver where you're going grocery shopping for people 100 like uh you know that that's free money basically yeah. um you know for for doing menial tasks and and i, I think it you know the, the people that get that and are willing to do that are the people that are going to get to where they need to be the the other folks that don't remind me of the um national lampoon's vacation where uh where chevy chase's family goes and visits cousin eddie at their you know farmstead in kansas or wherever the fuck and she's like yeah well you know he's he's holding out for a management position you know and it's like that that's a lot of people's mentality is like well, that's beneath me i'm not going to fucking deliver food and it's like well if you're robbing peter to pay paul and, and eating ramen and Yep. you know your lights are getting fucking shut off then you got to do what you got to do to get out of that hole and i also think doing shit like that also teaches you about yourself and yeah. it also it also helps you figure out what the fuck you want to do for a living you know yep. even if it's not that you know like no matter what i, I don't want to do anything in service related or you know whatever is that uh you know it gives you a lot of uh ammo and input um you know and, and value adds to your life in terms of uh you know figuring out what it, what it is that you want to do for a living so uh, great great points uh last but certainly not least just kind of a fun thing um there was a guy here in texas that owns uh, a mattress um <clears throat> chain named jim mattress mac mackinvale uh that bet four and a half millions on the bengals winning do you think he's gonna lose his fucking money <laughs> you know i haven't th the first football game that i watched this year <clears throat> was the divisional was the division champ or the division champions that was the first football game i watched all year so i actually don't know i see i did see i did see yesterday online that this is the most bet on super bowl in history i think there's 31 either 31 million bets or 31 million dollars probably 31 million bets i forget what yeah, it was. it's got to be way over 31 million bet yeah you know, so i mean if he bet four and a half million it's it's probably billions of dollars bet i, I have no doubt you know but yeah i think i saw it on drudge earlier it said 31 million bets <laughs> something like that so yeah. um i don't know i I think that from what I do understand about the situation, I believe that, um, you know, if I believe that the Bengals quarterback is a rookie this year, right. Or he's a, it's uh, I think it's his second year. Um, but he, he was an interesting thing about him is, uh, he was a first round, you know, one of one first round draft pick. Yep. Uh, he also is a Heisman winner and a college national championship, uh, you know, quarterback. So, there's very, I think there's only two other NFL players in the history of the NFL that have won a national championship, a Heisman and a Super Bowl. Oh, you know, really? Yeah. Like that, that rarely happens. And, and you yeah. think about it, like it, it typically, uh, it typically does pan out like Heisman, most Heisman winners don't, don't do much in the NFL. I mean, there's some that, that are, are legends, but a lot of them kind of, uh, fall off and, and you don't hear much about. It. And a lot of the really good college quarterbacks that were national champions, whatever, a lot of times, kind of flop in the NFL. There's a weird disparity from great quarterbacks in the, uh, in college versus the NFL. And it, and it just seems to, to not pan out as, as, uh, as well, which is weird, but, uh, at any rate, they're, they're looking up the, uh, the stat well, here. I'm curious to see what, what's been bet. But. What I would say based on no experience of seeing what happened for the season, 
from my days in football, here is what I would conclude. <laughs> the fact that the fact that the Rams are playing at their home stadium gives them a little bit more excitement, which means that the Bengals, knowing that they're playing at their home stadium, it's almost like a it's almost like a chip on their shoulder. Yeah. The second thing is you have this guy that's his second year or whatever, and that it's very uncommon for him to be that good. On top of that, the Bengals, I bet, as far as I can understand, a couple of years ago were one of the worst teams Shit, in the last league. year. Last year, they were one of the worst. <clears throat> you got worst team in the league. So to me, that's the type of thing that makes you push a little extra harder in the gym that has you do that extra set, do that extra sprint is when you believe that everyone thinks you can't, it kind of gives you that gas. So I think the fact that they're not at home, not going to have the cheers, they're preparing to deal with that psychological pressure. And the fact that they have a, they have a, they have something to prove. Yeah. I think gives them that little bit extra gas that maybe that'll do it. And I I hope for them that it does. So. Yeah, I agree. I, I mean, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens. I, I admittedly have, have not you know closely followed the NFL uh, ever since the the kneeling during the anthem stuff. I, I've kind of not not really paid much attention, but I know that uh, you know the Bengals weren't supposed to beat the Titans and they beat them, and then they sure as fuck weren't supposed to to go to the Chiefs' home stadium and beat them, and they did. So right. it's probably a flip of a coin, but uh, it should be a good game. Hopefully, the the commercials don't suck this year. <laughs> uh, and, and are overly uh, politically correct and, and are just boring like they have been the last couple of years. But I suspect that'll probably be the case. But yeah, um, I think I, th- I saw a meme the other day where it, <laughs> where it was something along the lines of, did you know they're playing a football game before and after the Eminem, Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg yeah. concert? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's no shit. It's a, like, yes. it's, yeah, it's a, it's eight billion thus far has been bet on this fucking Super Bowl. So yeah. that's, uh, that's that's wild shit. It's yeah. Joey, Joey stimulus cash. I just, <laughs> wonder what the, I'm sure the U S government's got some odds in there somewhere, but, know, right? uh, awesome talking to you, my man. I, I appreciate it. Um, great perspectives on a lot of things. I love your story and, uh, you know, the content you put out is, is fantastic. Um, where can people find you, uh, online to, to follow you? So home base is on Instagram at take naps. Um, and bobbysauce.com is links to everything. I'm on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, Getter, Telegram, everywhere there is to find. Yeah. Grinder, mingle. So, um, bobbysauce.com is the home base, or if someone can't spell that follow bobby.com is all my links as well. Great shit. Anything else uh, you want to add or talk about before we wrap it up? I would say this is the most important thing that I keep trying to get out there is that all all great people started out as relatively insignificant folks that decided to do great things, that decided to be great. Um, and historically through time, all, of, all great people have started out that way. They decided to be great and they did great things. And I think that we have to also understand that our thoughts are the only thing that has ever made anything in the world. Every great change, every great movement, every great business, every great everything started first as a thought, walking down the street, in the shower, at the gym, doing whatever, sitting around, reading a book. It's a thought. Everything starts there. So if we could understand that the Canadian trucker convoy began as a thought in some guy's mind, what if we took the trucks to Ottawa and now here it is changing the world? 
If we understood how important our thoughts were, we would audit the way that we think. And if we change the way that we think, we can get ourselves out of a lot of problems, we can solve a lot of problems, and we can ultimately change the world. So instead of spending an hour and a half a day being high, if you could spend an hour, half a day thinking about how to be productive, thinking about how to change your life, that hour per day would stack. And if you can just audit the way that you think, the world changes from there. Fix yourself and your internal, and all of the world's problems will be resolved. Maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, but over the course of history and for generations to come, so long as we make that a part of our day-to-day um, uh, health. Yeah. And I, I can't think of a, of a better way to wrap this conversation up. It's phenomenal advice. Um, and, and I'm Nick, the host of the UFO Chronicles podcast, with first-hand witness accounts of the strange and unexplained, covering UFOs, cryptids, conspiracies, and the paranormal. Real people, real encounters. So come with us on the journey into the unknown. UFO Chronicles podcast is available to listen to on all apps. I'll see you soon. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.